Hello everyone, I'm Francesco Pisano and this is The Next Page, the podcast of the UN Library Geneva designed to advance the conversation on multilateralism. For this episode, I want to pay a visit to Nikhil Set, Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations and Executive Director of UNITAR, the UN Institute for Training and Research, to have a conversation with him regarding Agenda 2030 and the SDGs. Nikhil Set is one of the most inspiring and knowledgeable persons I know regarding the Agenda 2030. And I asked him a few questions about how Agenda 2030 can relate to our lives and how we can all become players and actors of success in its implementation. Let's have a listen. ASG Nikhil Set, thank you for being on our podcast today. It's a pleasure to see you again. I wanted to begin by giving our listeners a feeling of who you are as a professional in international affairs, your former diplomat, what brought you so close to Agenda 2030 to be numbered among those who actually have fathered this incredible document. Please. Francisco, it's good to see you here at UNITAR and uh, thank you for being here and inviting me to this podcast. I see one of my important jobs in building awareness around the SDG agenda. So I'm very happy to be able to talk to all your listeners about what SDG agenda means to me and how I got there. How did I play such a central role in the formulation, in the conceptualization of the 2030 agenda? You know, contrary to certain beliefs that we suddenly produced Agenda 2030 in September 2015, That's not true. It was a very long process, a process deeply rooted in the evolution of development thinking in the UN. And I would trace it back several decades, really, to the start of our concerns around environment and development in 1992, the Millennium uh, uh, Summit, and everything else that we did in the 90s and uh, later in the 21st century. So this was the culmination of our efforts to define something which will meet human aspirations and human fears. And I found myself there uh, as a diplomat first in 1992. And I evolved my role as supporting the Secretariat, supporting consensus building in the United Nations and working with 193 member states to come to these consensus agreements. So my own engagement, first as a diplomat and subsequently as the Secretariat and as the head of the Secretariat supporting the SDG agenda has a long history. And I'm very proud of the people who engaged in it and how we got to where we got to in defining a future which all of us want, which engages everyone and which captures everyone's imagination. And I think the 2030 agenda is one which has caught everybody's imagination So very happy that I was able to play a central role. I keep defining my role more as one of the many midwives. I was not the main midwife, but the fact that it's owned by so many people has given it greater strength. So I wouldn't characterize it as as the only role in defining Agenda 2030, but as one of the midwives who helped deliver this baby. And I'm very happy that this baby continues to be healthy and is growing and is maturing into a a fine young adult. 
You mentioned Agenda 2030 as a document that has captured the imagination of the general public. This is particularly true for those of us who are professionals in international affairs. But for many people, this could just go down in history as one other summit uh, resume or, or, or document, as we have seen many others who were not particularly good at capturing the imagination of the general public. What is different in this agenda and how would you say people could relate more personally to Agenda 2030? The beauty of this agenda and of the SDGs is that it deals with all of human hopes and human aspirations and human fears. It contains issues which all of us can identify with. For example, on human hopes, we all hope for good health, we all hope for good education, we all hope for good jobs, we all hope that we will remove social inequalities, that we will empower women and gender equal, promote gender equality. Then we aspire for so many things. We aspire to live in clean cities. We aspire to be able to contribute to the community. We aspire to do things for those who are the least fortunate and the furthest behind. And of course, we fear things like climate change and their uncertain impacts. We fear pollution of our land, of our seas, of our air. And of course, we most fear corruption and we fear exploitation and we fear the lack of justice. So what Agenda 2030 has done is to bring all these human fears, human hopes, human aspirations together in one umbrella agreement. In the past, we've looked at many of these issues in the UN. It's not as if the UN is looking at these for the first time, but we've looked at it in silos. We've had a children's summit when we were worried about children's rights. We've looked at environment and development when we were worried about the destruction of the Amazon and the destruction of rainforests. We have looked at women in the Beijing conference. We've looked at the issue of employment and decent work during the social summit in Copenhagen. We've looked at so many issues in the context of the Millennium Declaration. But here's one time that we have brought all these issues together with the basic principle that these human hopes and human aspirations and human fears are not segmented. They're not in silos the way we've discussed them in the UN, but these are one integrated whole, which are so deeply interrelated to each other that by producing this matrix of actions, of actions which are related to each other, we'll be able to push policymakers, we'll be able to push civil society, we'll be able to push business, we'll be able to push academia in working together on stressing this integrated nature of sustainable development. So that is really the biggest achievement of the SDGs. And I think it will have a long and enduring quality because it has captured, in a sense, making the UN Charter an action agenda. This is very interesting to connect the UN Charter, which is 75 years old, to this agenda. There is a continuity there in a strategy leading to a better world. In these past almost four years since the adoption of the agenda, it was my experience that many people, maybe most people, have difficulties in distinguishing between the SDGs, the goals, the 17 goals, including the agenda, and the agenda as a more holistic, strategic 
view, a manifesto, as you yourself called it uh, once, and I'll come to that later. How would you advise uh, people to appreciate the agenda as a strategy and the SDGs? How to speak properly about the SDGs versus the agenda? Of course, there are two parts to the 2030 agenda, the narrative part, and next to that narrative part are the actual goals, targets, and later the indicators were developed, which is also a part of the comprehensive thing called Agenda 2030. Now, the narrative part is more of a statement of our values, our principles, and stresses the reasons why we need to do what we are doing. It takes stock of our situation, the, the grim situation actually that the world is in, and then it sets out an indicative plan of action which are enshrined in the Sustainable Development Goals. Let me give you some examples to show the difference between the narrative part and the actual formulation of the SDGs. The narrative part has several principles enshrined in it. The first is of universality. And the universality means that every country, no matter how big or small, no matter how rich or poor, is to commit to achieving the SDGs because countries are all superlinked. And this hyperlinkage between countries, we reflect that in various expressions like globalization, interdependence. But the fact is that every country is so deeply interlinked today. And if you look at some of the problems without borders today, I think the best example is probably climate change. How climate change is impacting on everyone. And some countries which have very little to do with the reasons for climate change are also severely impacted. Take, for example, the small island development states. Their existence is under threat, but have they contributed to greenhouse gas emissions? Not really, because their greenhouse emissions per capita are negligible. So they are paying the price of things that are happening in other parts of the world. If you look at the issue of migration, if you look at the issue of pandemics and health, these are all problems without borders, and that's what we've come out to solve. So universality is one of the principles, and this need to look at things in an integrated way is also deeply embedded in the DNA of the SDGs. Second is the issue of the interrelationship between the goals and targets, and what kind of actions that we take will help policymakers most. Of course, all the SDGs are not relevant to all countries. If you look at, say, one thing, the empowerment of women and girls and girls' education. Now, if we had more money spent on the education of girls, you would find progress in all the goals and all the targets. So it helps policymakers in understanding the interrelationship of their end objectives. Sometimes policymakers try to address them only by looking at a small silo. But that's not the way to look at policy. So if you want smart planning, if you want smart budgeting, you have to look at things in an integrated way. The third thing the SDGs do is to focus on the poorest and the most vulnerable. In fact, throughout the text, you'll find language of the nature of reach the furthest first, that the SDGs will not be achieved unless they've been achieved for those furthest away. And this emphasis on the most vulnerable marginalized whether they be people with disabilities, whether they be indigenous people, whether they be children or girls, 
So the focus throughout is on vulnerable people, vulnerable regions, vulnerable countries. And the world is being urged, policymakers are being urged to put action first for those that are most vulnerable. So these are the three special things in the narrative which gets the philosophy of what you need to achieve. The SDGs stress on what you need to achieve. And the narrative focuses on the aims, the purposes, the goals of how we are going to get to the world we want. So that's the distinction between the narrative text, which is idealistic, strong imploration to the world to do something to get us to a better place by 2030. Another code is these five Ps, these five dimensions that used to be less articulated at the time of the Millennium Development Goals, even uh, earlier. And now many analysts talk about the five Ps. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yes, we crafted those five Ps as a shorthand way of defining the 2030 Agenda. It was more for reaching people because sometimes the text that we use in the UN is very turgid and difficult to understand. And that's natural because after all, there are 193 countries trying to reach consensus and uh, it becomes a little more difficult to understand and dense. But by putting things in a friendly form, that this is an agenda for people, it's an agenda for prosperity, it's an agenda for the planet, and it's an agenda for peace. And it's an agenda to be achieved through partnerships. So now, these are the five pieces. Let's, are the five let's repeat them for the, for, the, for the listeners. So people, planet, peace, prosperity, and partnership. partnership. These are the five yes. dimensions yeah. in which the agenda evolves and also that the agenda looks at. Am I right? Yes. It's both the philosophy behind the SDGs as well as the target areas for the SDGs for reaching a world we want because the shelf life of most of the SDGs is 2030. Some of them have an earlier shelf life that they have to be achieved even earlier than 2030. But by focusing on 2030, we are constantly saying that you have to urge action to get to where we need to get to. Now, when we look at the time frame. 2030 is not so far away. It's 10 years and a half. How do you look at this 10 years ahead of us? How should we, as a united planet, try to achieve this, look at these 10 years? And what do you think will happen afterwards? There will be another agenda. What is the future until 2030? And what will come after 2030, in your opinion? Each and every one of us have responsibility for achieving the 2030 Agenda. Of course, depending on where we are, our responsibilities differ. If you are the CEO of a big company, you have certain greater footprints and greater responsibilities. If you're an academic or a researcher, you have certain other uh, responsibilities. If you are a president, prime minister, if you're a political leader, if you're a senior bureaucrat, you have different impacts. But what I'd like to say is that each one of us should define and describe our own personal agenda for achieving the 2030 Agenda. And if you look at the goals one by one, you'll find in each one of them, there are elements which, you can, which can help you define your Agenda 2030. Let's look at poverty. How have you contributed to 
bringing dignity to the life of the poorest person you've ever met. Have you restored that sense of dignity? Have you been able, have you set a target for yourself? Say, in my lifetime, I'm going to make sure that 100 people I come into contact with, I will give them some dignity. If you look at goal 16 on the issues of corruption, have you personally ever contributed to that corruption? Have you given a bribe, even for a small bribe for a public service? Have you accepted bribes, implicit or explicit, to be able to deliver something uh, which is beyond what you should have done? Have you, in the whole area of uh, illicit transfers, what kind of bank accounts have you kept? What kind of investments have you made? Have they been sustainable? Have they been looking at issues which are aggravating climate change, for example? Then if you go down each one of the goals, if you look at food security, do you waste food? Do you help in by buying local produce, seasonal produce? When you look at climate change, uh, have you what kind of car have you bought? What kind of house do you live in? What kind of mobility do you use? Do you use excessively air travel? Or do you look at public transport? Do you look at railways? So there are many ways in each, how each one of us can personalize Agenda 2030, especially on areas which are now everyone is talking about, issues of pollution, issues of recycling, issues of the circular economy, including plastic pollution, e-waste management. All these are issues which are going to hit the world like a tsunami in the decades ahead. So I think it's very important that we not only do it from the point of view of our company, our university, our organization, our government, but every citizen in his or her own way contributes to the achievement of the 2030 Agenda. So you talked about personalizing Agenda 2030. I think this is very powerful. And the power of asking questions, asking oneself questions, rather than what have you done, what have I done, what did I do, etc., etc. I think this could be very effective in making Agenda 2030 trickle down into each individual. And you said it before, each, each and every one of us has a certain degree of responsibility. But I would like to look at also the macro level. There are certain pushbacks at macro level in these 10 years to go. Would you like to talk a little bit about these pushbacks that you see on the horizon, not at individual level, more at systemic level? Let me look at these, Francisco, by deconstructing uh, 2030 agenda into its various elements. Let us look at political issues, let's look at economic issues, let's look at environmental issues, let's look at social issues, let's look at how we are doing on this whole business of financing 2030 agenda and this whole issue of partnerships. So let's start with economic issues. Every morning uh, when you get up, look at the newspaper, hear the news, you're waiting for some dramatic news on the state of the global economy. Every day you expect a certain crash in the stock markets. You expect certain big disruptions in trade because things are not going well there. And that would be the biggest setback into achieving a 2030 agenda because once an economic crisis hits and countries have to cope with the economic crisis, and the devastating impact uh, the uh, crisis have, especially on the poorest and more vulnerable, then 
national leadership gets carried away in coping with that crisis and long-term agendas are lost to the immediate problem of jobs, incomes, and the budgetary impacts of financial crisis. So we don't know what's on the horizon and things are not going the way they should be going. Then you look at social issues. You look at conflict, conflict everywhere. Conflict in the Middle East, conflict in Europe, conflict in Asia, conflict in Africa. And there is no respite from conflict. And many of them are social in nature, uh, a result of exclusion, a result of the lack of economic opportunities, which is linked to discrimination. These are not going away. So I always worry that if this continues unabated, the SDG agenda is going to get a very strong impact. Let's turn to environmental issues. And across the board, if you look at climate change, if you look at pollution issues, if you look at the state of e-waste management, if you look at the state of chemical management, it's a disaster waiting to engulf our world. If it's not already engulfed our world in ways in which we cannot set the clock back. So we're not doing well on uh, environmental issues. Then you look on issues of a political nature of the political leadership, of the support to the 2030 Agenda and the kinds of issues. And since 2015, we've had lots of elections globally, and many of the leaders who have come to the fore are not strong believers in multilateralism. And the spirit with which we are used to, being long-time UN people, the spirit of cooperation, the spirit of international cooperation in particular, the spirit of compassion and the spirit of solidarity. These sentiments are being lost in our current world. And this kind of political impact uh, and political pushback impacts on everything that I mentioned earlier, the impact on the economy, the impact on society, the impact on the environment. So they're making it that much more difficult to get to the 2030 Agenda. And then finally, when you look at the whole issue of financing the 2030 Agenda and the additionality that's needed to finance, and the whole issue of partnerships. I'm not sure that enough partnerships are maturing, public-private, uh, with the academia, with civil society, in a positive, constructive, mature way. They are, of course, successful examples of partnerships, but they're not enough and not of a magnitude which will get us to the 2030 Agenda if we continue at this pace. So all in all, I would say that my prognosis for whether we'll get to the 2030 Agenda is still a question mark. And of course, I have great hope in what technology offers. But uh, as you know, technology development and use is being governed by two strong forces. One are the big trillion dollar companies who are pushing technology, but their motivation is not achieving the 2030 Agenda. Their objectives are either the bottom line, as we all know, or their objectives are expanding the usage of what they are developing in technology. Then the second big area where technology is developing is in the military, political, strategic space. Now, all those technologies have had secondary uses. For example, the GPS was developed more for uh, the military, but it has now found peaceful applications and so on. But these are not primarily technologies that are being developed for reaching the furthest first. These are not technologies which are primarily oriented to solving the world's current problems. Water, energy, food, 
climate change, all these interlinked issues. So till we have a situation where technology development, dissemination and use is governed by the primary principles which are contained in the SDGs, we won't have sufficient technologies. But I do think that technology offers great hope. And just for example, I was reading uh, the other day that if we plant a trillion trees, we'll be able to cope with GHG gases because trees are a vital sink to uh, carbon. And uh, But how do we get to planting a trillion trees? What kind of forces will make that happen globally? That's the challenge. So there are solutions, but we are not doing enough to make those solutions happen. What is striking in listening to you is that most of these pushbacks that you mentioned are the same that seem to worry the younger generations. They seem to see these pushbacks as obstacles to remove from the very youngest to the millennia who are around 30 now, between 25 and 30 years old now, and they're accessing the leverage of power and the, the, the management positions. And what troubles me is that this linkage they establish with the whole adventure of realizing Agenda 2030 is from a negative point of view. So they're worried about what may impede achieving Agenda 2030. You have massive experience in the making of Agenda 2030, the philosophy behind it, and also as a diplomat, as a UN high-ranking official. What, this is your opportunity to tell them something. What would you tell our listeners in that range, young, youth and millennia, about this agenda. What is your advice to them for the 10 years we have ahead? What I would tell them very frontally is that don't expect the world to change because of the actions of leaders, political leaders, leaders in industry, leaders in civil society, leaders in academia. You have to be yourself the reflective of the change you want to see. And of course, apart from defining your own personal 2030 agendas, set the example yourselves by the decisions you make and by the types of things you do in your lives which will make this happen. Civil society action, active political participation, expression of your thoughts loudly, and making sure that in your sphere of influence you bring these change are probably going to be very important there are a lot of young leaders today. We have Greta, we have Malala, we have lots of young people who are shaking up systems and bringing issues like it's no longer just worrying about climate change, but a climate emergency. And that kind of sentiment, uh, when expressed by young people, has a deep impact on their immediate family, on their immediate community, on their immediate town, city, on their uh, immediate um, the country. And of course, it becomes a global spread of good actions. So what we've seen, for example, on the climate change and climate emergency is dramatic action spurred by younger people. It's their world, after all. In 2030, people who are 18 today are going to be reaching their 30s, and they'll be worrying much more than we are today of these very things. So for developing and building the world that they want, they must take action into their own hands, not rely on some distant capital or some distant CEO or some distant professor or rector of a university. They have to take things in their own hand. That is very clear. Let me remind our listeners that you are Nikit Set, 
Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations, Executive Director of UNITA, which is the UN Institute for Training and Research. There are a lot of resources on Agenda 2030 and a number of other multilateral diplomacy training courses that you can find on your website, www.unitar.org. And on behalf of the UN Library in Geneva, I would like to thank you so much for being on our podcast Nest page. And we hope to see you soon on this podcast again. Thank, thank you so you, much. Francisco. Thank you so much. <laughs>